Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, they've finally done away with the term illegal alien, which has been the proper legal terminology forever. They've done away with it. More on that coming up in a little bit. Oh, my God. The left's need to just cleanse language makes me insane. But all right, we'll talk about uh, that There's a pattern there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Denying reality is the pattern. But again, I'll I'll, I'll withhold my comments, he says, having made two comments already. Uh, A couple of quick things before we get to the meat of the segment, and a meaty segment it shall be. I'm I'm reading this piece. We were talking earlier about uh, Cal Unicornia and other places are talking about rescinding their outdoor mask ban, to which most people reply, I didn't know there was one. There is one? I never wear a mask outside. And then I don't. I never do. Um because there's no point, there's no need. Even pre-vaccine, the chances are between, well, the chances are it's either one-twentieth is likely to pass it along the vid or one-one-thousandth is likely, depending on which study you look at. But at any rate, it's ridiculous. And then I'm looking at this idea of uh, vaccine passports, and I think the the writing about it is is really interesting. Again, it has to do with Cal Unicornia, but every uh, every state is is dealing with it. Uh, it's interesting from the point of view of liberal uh, journalism. They're, they're, they write in the uh, the far-left Sacramento Bee, as more people get immunized, hope for life to return to pre-pandemic normalcy has some businesses and corporations announcing plans to require proof of vaccination to keep patrons safe while attending a concert or football game when boarding a flight or taking a cruise vacation. 
colleges have also increasingly announced requirements for students to get vaccinated before returning to class. This That seems like an innocent paragraph, but I think that paragraph is a perfect example of what Tim Sandifer wrote about in his book, The Permission Society, inspired by this very radio show. And what we talk about a lot, it has turned liberty on its head. Let's think about concerts, football games, flights, cruises, college classes, whatever. You are in one of just a couple of groups, just a a very few groups. Either you're, you're vaccinated, in which case the point is moot. The chances are almost zero. They're vanishingly small that you could get seriously ill from the vid. It's almost nothing. They're doing some studies on that right now, but it's almost nothing. Or, you know, obviously you've already had it. Or you're young and healthy and you don't care. Or... You're Ted Nugent, and you've decided you're not going to get vaccinated. You're going to take your chances. That sounds like liberty to me, making the decision of if I'm going to go to a concert. I am self-selecting. Either I go or I don't go, based on my own needs and beliefs. And if I go and I have the vid and I spread it to unvaccinated people who said they're going to go to the concert and take their chances, who the hell are the authorities to tell us we can't make that choice? Well, I guess they're they're uh, uh, or are we still in the two weeks to flatten the curve? Oh boy! So yeah. hospitals don't get overwhelmed. I heard the other day. So we're at the hundred days here in a couple of days for uh, days Biden, of the Biden administration. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's going to give his first address, and uh, I heard the quote when he started, and he said, "I'm just asking for a hundred days. Everybody wear a mask for one hundred days. That's all I'm asking." And the question, obviously, is, uh, so on the 100th day here, I think next week, are you going to announce that's over or not? I'm I'm guessing not. Right, right. I'm guessing, like, flatten the curve, that whole just this long gets extended. So I'm assuming anybody who's compelled to be, say, on an airplane, the uh, the pilot and the air waitresses. I love, I'm sorry, I love calling them that just because I know how annoying it is to them. Uh, so the pilot and the air waitresses, <laughs> they're vaccinated guaranteed, right? Right. So who am I protecting? People who have self-selected, I'm going to fly on the plane even though I'm unvaccinated. Well, so, but if I'm, there's a certain crowd, though, that would like to go to the concert and fly with the belief that everybody's going to wear a mask so that they can't catch it. It's not, I want to take my chances. It's safe because everybody's wearing a mask. Wouldn't that be it? Wouldn't that be a, a, a different crowd? Uh, yeah, but you're, I'm you're, not you're, talking you're, about you're, mask mandates. I'm talking about vaccine or the passports. Va- or the vaccine passport. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be the same thing? I want them to check vaccine passports so that I know everybody on there is uh, is vaccinated so I can fly on there. How long are you going to accept that? Well, I'm against the vaccine passport, but I think that's oh, okay. just the argument from that side. Well, right. Okay. So my question to them would be for how long? I mean, and, and by the time you implement this, it's going to be over. I suggest if you are, uh, susceptible to the COVID, if it is still a danger to you for the reasons we've been talking about, don't go to a damn concert. Don't fly. Right. I, I got to believe that crowd is not doing anything because I know some of these people and they're still all hunkered down. And they don't go anywhere or do anything, and there's still people who have talked about I haven't hugged my you know my aunt in the two years or whatever. You're a crazy person. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're, well, they're living a different lifestyle than I am. 
But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think they're at risk anyway. I, I haven't really thought much or gotten into much of these discussions about the vaccine passport just because I think it's not going to matter so quickly. I feel like these are just temporary bridges to ease people's comfort level. But it's going to be very temporary. I think, yeah. I think we're going to cross the line of it doesn't matter in like weeks and it'll be mm-hmm. over. Yeah, you know, this is funny. This is uh, We're about to go onto a ground that Jack and I have plowed a couple of times, that public policy and public uh, messaging needs to be so freaking stupid to bring freaking stupid people along. It's frustrating for anybody who's not completely freaking stupid. Um, and, you know, and, and now would be a good time, except we're running out of time, to get to the uh, the study about how people think, how dangerous people think the COVID is for various age groups, the rest of it, uh, based on their political beliefs. And And my problem with some of this is that we're indulging people who are wildly misinformed about the COVID. Uh, th- by the vaccine passport thing or whatever, the, the people who think it's 50 to 800 times as dangerous to kids as it is, making kids show a passport to go to school because kids will die of it. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to cater to them. Yeah, <laughs> Jonah Goldberg with the Dispatch was r- r- relating it to the, you know, the fabled Japanese soldiers on an island somewhere who thought the war was still being fought. You know, people hunkered in their homes with masks on that are going to come out. I think I said that two days ago. Uh, They're going to come out. I think I said it first. I'm suing him. That dog picture posting son of a you-know-what. How dare he People are going to come out of their homes in May with their masks on and their hand sanitizer and wondering what's going on. Right, saying, I haven't hugged a loved one in in a year and a half, and the rest of us have been to games and parties and the rest of it. (laughs) What? The vaccination thing is interesting in that it wasn't very long ago, a couple months ago, a month ago maybe, who I I didn't know hardly anybody that had been vaccinated. Now I don't know if I know anybody who hasn't. That happened fast. Right, right. Um, so I, you know what? I was going to go into this absolutely brilliant letter by 21 black leaders denouncing the campaign against Georgia and the election laws because that topic has not passed just because, you know, Derek Chauvin got uh, convicted. I want to go back to that, but as long as we're talking about it, uh, this is from a great website that, that deals in, in scientific facts and looks at people's perceptions of them. And we could probably talk about this all day because it covers all sorts of interesting ground. Um, Let's see, where's the stuff? Uh, on COVID-19. Uh, the first COVID death occurred in early February of last year. Since then, what portion of all deaths in the U.S. do you think have involved COVID-19? 1%, 10%, or 50%? Uh, the correct answer is about 10%, and that was given by 32% of all voters, including 36% of Biden voters and 27% of Trump voters. So the Biden voters did a little better, um, but that's it's an interesting question. But everybody was about the same, high 20s, low 30s, mid 30s. Um, in your estimate, what portion of people who catch COVID-19 and are aged 70 plus survive from it? Okay, you got the vid, you're 70 plus. What percentage survive it? About half, 75%, or 95%? The correct answer is 95%. Sure. Um, 15% of Biden voters got that right. 40% of Trump voters. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, so that's what, um, uh, Bill three Maher, and a half times as many. That's what Bill Maher was talking about Friday night. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, then they talk about contagiousness of well, the. Well, if forty percent uh, of people think it's practically a death sentence for an old person to get it, you would have a different view of it. Right, exactly, and and that's the, what I wanted to toss out there. We can't have our public messaging be fashioned for those people. We've got to bring them up to speed on the facts and not have phony outdoor mask mandates because a certain number of Biden voters especially are incredibly paranoid. You know, because I'm a fair-minded man, I'll point out that in a lot of cases, uh, Trump voters uh, regularly under miss, uh, they underestimated the uh the, the dangers and the statistics and the rest of it. Because, as we've been discussing for months, the COVID thing became so weirdly political. Um, but, uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to sport a mask outdoors because there's some paranoiac Biden voter that hasn't hugged his aunt in 18 months. Sean, do you know if the uh, co-workers down the hall have been vaccinated or not? Uh, I do not. The uh, The maskers? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know most of the newsroom yeah. has so that I've talked to. We're yeah. getting close to everybody that comes into this building is vaccinated. I wonder how long you wear masks if everybody you work with is vaccinated. Walking around the hallways. I don't know. It's your choice. You get to do whatever you want. But Yeah, yeah. Wearing masks while on the air, too. Talking through a mask into the microphone. Seems um, odd. Oh. Yeah. So I want to get to that letter from the black leaders about Georgia, because I think that's an important topic, and it's absolutely eloquent. We're doing away with the term illegal alien, like we went from uh, homeless to uh, people experiencing homelessness or the unhomed. We're doing the same thing officially with a illegal alien, which has been the actual legal term all these years. What's the new term? Foreign invader? Interloper? <laughs> outsider? Uh, we'll get to all that stuff. of America. This is Ted Nugent. And if Armstrong and Getty don't get on the beast, I'm going to come out there and gut them and hang them on my wall and genuflect at the altar of their carcass. Now that's a threat. That's a great Ted Nugent who was on our show a couple of years ago back and now he's got the COVID and uh, hope he turns out okay. We uh, forgot to play this yesterday. Trump was on with Hannity the other night and dropped this. Is it a bombshell? Are you considering running again in 2024? I miss the most helping people because I can directly help people. That's why I did it. Look, this has been a very traumatic. I had a great life, great company, great business, no problems. And now all I do is people go after you. It's it's vicious. It's horrible. But you know what? I love doing it because I help people. I I say this. I I am looking at it very seriously, beyond seriously. Uh, From a legal standpoint, I don't want to really talk about it yet. Ah, uh, okay. From well, a legal standpoint, I don't really want to. That's uh, like you don't want to be a declared candidate. Uh, How does that work? I don't uh, know. Who knows? That's that's not certainly a full throated yes. I'm running. I'll tell you that. No, Trump's brand is keeping people talking about his brand. And to move off of this topic quickly, Axios is reporting with three sources that Chris Christie is likely to run in 2024. So you're going to have Chris Christie, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley. And Tim Scott of South Carolina. Man, Ron DeSantis, ladies right, and gentlemen. All right. There's five heavyweights running. And then if 
Trump jumps in, how many of those would not run if he was running? I don't know. That'd be an interesting, uh, interesting situation. Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a praying mantis for DeSantis myself. That's a terrible slogan. Wait, I got, I got like two years to work on that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> a praying mantis for DeSantis. Yeah, that's it's awful. Um, um uh, I'll, I'll unleash Rantis. Rantis. Well, you, you were fisty for Christie for a while. Oh, I easy! That. I was I was a talker for Walker first. I thought Scott Walker was going to be a great uh-huh. candidate. Then he just he kind of faltered on the national stage. He didn't have the chops. Mm-hmm. I loved what he'd done in Wisconsin, but he faltered. And then I'm then I yeah I was hanging with Christie. I was a I was uh, uh, smoking a dubio for Rubio. I think was your <laughs> characterization. <laughs> Oh, and then I schmoozed for Cruz. That's right. Everybody I backed almost immediately fell off in the polls. <laughs> the kiss of death. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Um, Simon & Schuster, one of your big book publisher, publishers, said it will publish Mike Pence's book, getting big backlash from their own employees. How Shut dare the you? up. How dare you publish a book from Vice President Pence, who served under Trump, and, you know, they, they caved the other day and wouldn't publish the book from the officer who was involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor. Right. So that guy put a book out, which is something you'd think you'd be interested in reading. Well, and who else did they cancel, Simon & Schuster? Just a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, they, they... Something s- thoroughly defensive. I don't know if they feel like it went too far or, or Pence is a different situation. But anyway, Simon & Schuster rejected employees' calls to drop the Pence book deal. We come to work each day to publish, not to cancel, they say, after canceling two high-profile book deals in the last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, and maybe this is my hopes being the father of my, my thoughts, but I think there are... In- an increasing number of institutions, whether they're publisher schools or whatever, uh, or or the city of Portland, famously, who think, yeah, yeah, if we're just if we just appease these vicious people, if we just uh, just give in to this demand, they'll leave us alone. No, they will take and take and take. They will push and push and push until they've uh, gotten their Marxist utopia going. You have to fight it. You have to. Oh, speaking of which, a little later on today, brilliant letter from uh, a dad about his uh, woke school indoctrinating the kids. Just terrific. Oh, boy. And, uh, and, and black leaders uh, uh, kicking back against the notion that Georgia's voting laws are somehow a racist and terrible and Jim Crow. It's really good stuff. Cool. Um, U.S. immigration enforcement agencies are updating their terminologies at the request of the Biden administration. They sent out a memo yesterday with guidance on the preferred terms to have a more inclusive language that uh, Border Patrol and ICE should uh, consider adopting. It isn't adopted yet, but they should consider adopting it. And that is, instead of using the term illegal alien, use homeland burglar. It seems like a, nope. seems like a step backwards, doesn't it? Um, alien will now be non-citizen or migrant. Alienage will be non-citizenship. Unaccompanied alien children will be non-citizen unaccompanied children. You get the gist of it. All right. Assimilation will become... Why is assimilation a bad word? Will become integration or civic integration. And illegal alien, which we've all been using forever, is undocumented non-citizen, undocumented individual, or migrant. 
there is absolutely an effort by the left to change and confuse language, to remove clear words, everybody knows what they mean, and replace them with fuzzy words that might mean one thing or another. Makes it easier to win arguments, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sheriff's deputies had to respond because a drunk driver come flying in the parking lot during the mock crash, nearly striking several students. The guy was extremely... 
extremely intoxicated. Literally, he came right into the crash scene area, the mock crash scene area, and then sped off. I mean, just extremely intoxicated. So a high school is running one of those uh, anti-drunk driving mock accident exercises, and a drunk driver crashes into it. It's like rain on your wedding day. It's not like that at all, but it is ironic. Great, Scott. you got to have the regular police and the irony police respond to that scene. Because <laughs> the kids are thinking, wow, this is getting so realistic. Yeah, they really did a good job here. How did they let that guy just smash into the, 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 the fake wreck? Well, it's not a fake wreck. It's a real wreck. But wow, wow. We uh, haven't talked to any George Floyd for a while. We will coming up. Both sides hate what Nancy Pelosi said yesterday about George Floyd sacrificing his life for justice. People on the left hated that. People on the right hated that. There's a lot to hate. We'll explain why. Yeah, I love this. Absolutely love this. Well, first of all, did you know the Senate Judiciary Committee is holding a hearing titled Jim Crow 2021, the latest assault on the right to vote, calling the most sensible and mild Efforts to ensure voting integrity, Jim Crow, which is obscene. And anybody who has any knowledge about civil rights uh, fights through the history of this country can't like they've got to hate that. Well, sure enough, 21 civil rights leaders, prominent black conservatives, defend Georgia's new election law in a letter to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. They write, among other things, it's become clear that even well-intentioned critics of the law simply have no idea what the law is. It is clear they have no idea how favorably Georgia's new law compares with most other states, including President Biden's home state of Delaware. And it is clear they have no idea that a majority of black voters across the country support the key provisions under attack by critics. The simple requirement that voters be able to identify themselves when voting. This is the same simple requirement needed to pick up baseball tickets. Oh, they did not uh, pick that uh, comparison out of thin air. Or Uh. board a plane. Also intentional, activities hardly as important as voting. Boy, that's so great. Did you hear anybody in the lying corporate media point out that, you know, the vast majority of black voters actually support voter ID? No. No, of no, course you didn't. I was pretty surprised when I saw that myself just because I'd heard the narrative so much. But, yeah, it's it's pretty clear. It's about a 70% all the way around. Yeah, uh, for yeah. for all your different groups, right, left, uh, d- d- matter your color, because it just makes perfectly good sense. Of course, you have to show your ID to vote. Right. Uh, they mentioned that uh, Stacey Abrams will be testifying in this Jim Crow 2021 hearing at the Judiciary Committee. They mentioned that uh, President Joe Biden has made multiple Jim Crow references, which, again, is horrific. Uh, the Jim Crow era had uh, the Klan and other groups uh, beating, terrorizing, lynching, Black people for trying to vote. This is asking you to show your free ID. The Georgia law requires voters to present prevent ID in submitting absentee ballots. That ballots, uh, blah, blah, blah. It slightly reduces the number of days for early voting from 19 to 17. It gives voters an earlier deadline to mail absentee ballots, an earlier deadline. Signatories from Georgia include the Reverend Alveda King, niece of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Michael Lancaster, d- director of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, Vernon Jones, uh, former Georgia State Representative, uh, Heritage Foundation President Kay James, who grew up amid segregation. They have tarred with the brush of racism people whose only sin is a desire for confidence in our elections. 
the letter says, and it takes exception to mischaracterizations of the Georgia law, which they call proper, honest steps in reforming the election process. Quote, to compare today's policy differences with the literal life and death struggle of previous generations is to diminish these heroes' struggle, sacrifice, and enormous accomplishments. It is past time for today's generation to come together in an honest, civil, and straightforward way to protect these shared values of voter access and election integrity. It should be easy to vote and hard to cheat that's a great phrase i'm going to remember that Mm. and uh, they go on to say we along with dozens of other black pastors and civic leaders in georgia fully understand and support the state's new election integrity law a law that will help rebuild voter confidence and make sure every vote counts those who have been deceived by a political campaign to discredit the new law and punish the state of georgia should stop take a step back and understand the real agenda here you only need look at recent election fraud cases in north carolina and new jersey to see how serious a problem our country could face if these vital protections become outlawed there is no inherent conflict between making it easy to vote and hard to cheat. That is good stuff, and we'll post it at armstrongandgetty.com if you want to read it, zap it around. It actually goes on um, at, at some length, but it's eloquent and terrific, and I credit those folks for for uh, for writing it. Where is Derek Chauvin's beauty queen ex-wife? Do you remember that he was married to Mrs. Minnesota 2019? I had forgotten that completely. And she left him two days, filed for divorce two days after the the incident. So uh, what has become of her? Doesn't really matter. Just opportunity to remind you he's married to Mrs. Minnesota, which is an interesting tidbit. Um, This story is about the town of Bitch, France. Uh, Pardon me? I was going to pronounce it Biche because it's B-I-T-C-H-E, but the E is silent. It's actually pronounced Bitch, I believe. Villa de Bitch. Is a town in North. That's what I call my house. <laughs> All right. It is a town situated in northwestern France with a rich military history, pastoral landscape, and an unfortunate sounding name. Recently, Tiny Bitch made international headlines after Facebook mistook the city's name for a swear word and deleted the town's Facebook page. Nice job, Facebook. Idiots. Although Facebook's mistake seems innocuous for the towns located around Bitch. Uh, Are you sure it's not Beach or something? <laughs> All these Beaches? <laughs> Kids, you want to go to the Beach? Local Facebook pages serve as the main form of communication around there. Shutting the page down effectively creates a local news blackout. Ain't that a bachet? <laughs> the the residents of Bitch are far from alone in their reliance on Facebook for local news. Now it kind of pivots into a different story. Uh, in the United States alone, more than 2,000 local newspapers have closed over the past 20 years. Oh. God, you, just, you can't measure the impact of that. That is just amazing. In these I used news- to live for my name being mentioned in the Little League Roundup of the uh, local newspaper. I got my picture in there a couple of times. Very exciting. Well, you know, there's that, but but all of those things, the way they created a uh, you know a cohesive, we're part of a neighborhood or group or whatever, and reported on what the city council was and up to, and the important stuff, right? Right. Yeah. That just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, Huffington Post doesn't have a reporter at the Tuesday city council meeting. No nope. yeah. local paper did. Nope. But BuzzFeed has some excellent cat pictures. In I these- mean, really cute. In these news deserts, Facebook has risen as an alternative information source, and Facebook is not going to give you 
uh, how much over budget that project is on Main Street that you've been wondering about. They don't even know it's happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, even if there is a local newspaper, the fact is that the staff is being cut and beats are being consolidated. So if there are 10 things happening in one day and only two reporters, four things are being covered at most. What happens to the six other newsworthy events? Well, they don't get covered at all, obviously, and that's happening all around the world. Facebook is not only filling the local news void, it is tied to local papers' disappearance. Facebook is moving advertising dollars away from local newspapers and even driving the content local newspapers create. Local news coverage often panders to Facebook's algorithms when creating content and headlines. Of course. So get more attention. More clicks. The social media giant's algorithms determine which stories float to the top of the news feed, and a cash-strapped local news outlet needs to turn those clicks into ad revenue. So a bland report on the local city council meeting that might otherwise be report, uh, important is not going to, you know, with the algorithm, make it to the top. No, and indeed, if there's the slightest conflict, what they'll do is whip up that conflict, maybe add race to it, because that gets clicked, and so that which is reported will probably be misreported. Son of a bichet, we're in a, we're in a conundrum here. I heard that. You know, as a market guy, a free market guy, I believe the market will take care of that, but only after the need becomes really severe. <sighs> only after, you know, corruption in local government gets enormous or... Or, you know, some rise, some need See, gets severe enough to, to cause a reaction. They didn't, they mentioned clicks. They didn't mention Craigslist. So much of the revenue of your local newspaper was the, the, the ads. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that if there are enough, well, I'm pretty sure there aren't. Specifically enough. the classified ads? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure there aren't enough clicks that can support a smallish town newspaper. Reporting on the actual news. There's not enough money in the clicks on that. No, not a chance. Because I was about to say, uh, you know, you would think over time every town will have its own website that everybody becomes aware of, that everybody goes to, and, you know, you hire a couple of reporters. But who's going to pay their salaries? There won't be enough clicks in small town America to pay anybody. It'd it'd have to be a... um, it would have to be like a vocation for the reporter, the editor, the fact checker for the, the you know the the week it takes of trying to get fact people on the checker. Well, <laughs> well, that that is one of the first positions that got eliminated as newspapers and newsrooms got squashed. Sure. How, how about fact check? Sean's right. How about back in the day when any newspaper of any size had a, a wise ass kind of like us who would comment on goings ons, you know, in the city or the local yeah. area. And write sure. a column about it once a week. And with that job, because I knew a few of them, and with that job, own a home, raise a family, have kids and a couple cars. I mean, with that job, now right. everybody's a wiseacre commenting on what's going on and getting nothing for it, for the most part. Except likes. Our friend uh, Rick Cushman was a TV critic for the Sacramento Bee way back when we started. He lived a couple of houses down for me, had a nice house, you know, living a life. Paying for it by being a TV critic. Now it seems crazy that anybody could make a living off of being a TV critic in a town in America. Well, and the truth is, as a terrific a writer and a guy as he was, a lot of his salary was being paid for by used lawnmower, blade just sharpened. <laughs> Asking $100. Exactly. Yeah. A crib, a perfect condition, some vomit stains. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that second part interferes with the first, uh, the, the perfect condition part, yeah, I think. It's, I, hard, it's hard to not have vomit stains on a crib. Plus, I, as, I a, think. as a kid, I loved the Sunday comics. 
Every every Sunday, get in the Sunday comics. Garfield, Andy Cap, all those. Calvin and Hobbes is probably responsible of thirty percent of the reason why I know how to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's truth to that. Sure. So, can you make a living as a as a guy who comes up to a comic strips anymore? Probably not. I wouldn't think so. I, I I'm not sure under what circumstances you know you could get. Well, you'd have to love it a lot and be brilliant and do it for a long time. But then where's the revenue come from? Uh, and put it in book form, I guess. But Patreon? Usually, usually those were people that were getting it more or less for free through the newspaper that came to love you so much they would buy your book. Right. Dear readers, my wry and comedic observations of a little boy and his tiger are <laughs> fun. It's fun for me to draw as you to read, but uh, I don't have any food. <laughs> and uh, I'm starving. I live, I live under a bridge, so if you could kick in a few bucks, that'd be helpful. I'm so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Trail, remember Joe? Yes. Oh, of course. Mark, oh, the adventures he had, Michael. <laughs> he was half naturalist, half like kickboxer. There were a couple of those. I always read the funny ones, the, the supposedly funny ones, but I never read the dramas like oh, you did. I did. I loved them. Nothing yeah. happened. I tell you what, you're <laughs> you're married to Mark Trail, you're a crazy woman. <laughs> His wife constantly beset by savages or, or eaten by crocodiles. He was constantly coming to her aid. <laughs> you know, he'd get into adventures and she'd take it on the chin. There's Sarah. nothing funny about the death of local newspapers, Joe. No, indeed. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it It back. is something society's going to have to fix. I don't know how it will happen. The death of local newspapers is horrible, much like Hagar, the, the terrible Viking, often represented. Hagar the horrible, <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I belly flopped there. There was something there. Nah, I enjoyed the reference to Hagar. <laughs> I had like three stuff. or four I'd, I'd read every day. Hagar the Horrible was one when I when I had a newspaper with that. Uh, I always checked out Chuck Brown. Um, <laughs> Chuck Brown. Uh, the Far Side, obviously. Far you know, Side, if that was yes. in your paper, sure. Yes, sure. sure. You, you, Calvin yeah. Hobbes. I would read like the family circle just to be mad, I guess. <laughs> I don't get it. How? Are you making a living? <laughs> There's nothing here. <laughs> we for for a couple of months. I would read. I would describe and read the family circus, and then just explode in laughter. As if it was funniest thing I've ever seen. You had to have been there. Funny at the time. <laughs> oh boy. Um, some stuff from the Derek Chauvin trial. Nancy Pelosi. Did she step in it yesterday? She said something that made people on all sides of politics unhappy. That uh, kind of a specialty lately. Um, uh, that and other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Unless we can change the law, this will be an episode. We change the law, we're going down a different path altogether. I understand what Nancy Pelosi was trying to do there, but nobody seemed to like it on the right or left. 
Nancy Pelosi hit after thanking George Floyd for sacrificing his life, as you just heard there. University of Illinois history professor and black activist Barbara Ransby tweeted out, did, did Pelosi just say George Floyd, thank you for sacrificing your life? He did not sacrifice his life. His life was violently taken. Others were equally appalled. Uh, thank you for sacrificing your life. Better to say I'm sorry you had to sacrifice your life for justice. Or I'm pretty sure he didn't sign up to be murdered by a cop. No, 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 no. What the F, Pelosi? <laughs> um, <laughs> sacrificing, sacrificing your life is something you do on your own. He was murdered. Um, we just had a trial that proved that. And uh, here's somebody with 100,000 followers who's with Deadspin. Why do they keep putting her out in public? That was appalling. So there's that end of the of what she had to say there of that that was a word weird weird way to phrase that yeah and then the, the last part about uh we'll always think of justice when we think of george floyd here's candace owens on tucker carlson addressing that part and the idea of martyring george floyd the way nancy pelosi spoke about him it completely forgives all of the trauma that he brought against his victims while he was alive you know a man that served seven plus stints in prison while he was alive armed robbery being two of the reasons why and now we're going to martyr him and say that your name will forever be synonymous with justice imagine if you are one of his victims that is alive one of his victims that he armed robbed and you have to hear that this man's name will always be synonymous with justice how would that feel to you i feel like we are living in fiction right now in America. We are losing this country and we are living in fiction because people are not strong enough to call out this stuff. I think justice was done and I'm glad it was done. And I think Chauvin was, you know, got what he deserved. But George Floyd being the face of justice seems really weird as a career criminal, including armed robberies, as you heard. And right. then the, and the a idea drug of, addict. And then you the know. idea of sacrificing your life for justice when you're lying there handcuffed somebody choking you out having just committed a crime wasted on drugs you know as as a dad i mean people rightfully talking about how he loved his daughter and that's a beautiful thing. sure he did uh, but to make a saint of a man who at that point in his life is still a drug addict and still doing crimes i mean come on let's just let's admit a, a, a guy with a criminal history and a drug addiction Ran into a cop who went too far and should have put his taken his damn knee off the guy's neck. That's what happened. There are no saintly sermons to be delivered here. Keith Ellison also went way too far, if you ask me, in in citing George Floyd as some sort of paragon of beauty and, and righteousness. I just, maybe we just, just crazy. Maybe we just try too hard to make everything into a giant historical moment, as opposed to just the what it is. Either that or, you know, there are few humans that have any patience for ambivalence. You know, he's a, he's a good guy in a lot of ways, but a bad guy in a lot of ways. It's a shame. No, people can't handle it. You got to either be a, a hero and a saint or a monster in but, people's minds. This is tied, I think, to the, the Facebook algorithm thing. The headlines are catering towards engagement online. Mm -hmm. uh, that certainly plays a role in it. Um, a lot more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.